for shooting a actual gigantic tin ring, mm-hmm. and then what they call the counter battery, which is a picture of a cannon that it is you get you get different points depending on where you hit that picture of the cannon. listening to the muzzleloaders podcast the show where we talk about anything and everything black powder how's it going guys it's darren with the muzzleloaders.com podcast and you are listening to the muzzleloaders podcast and today we have eddie davenport uh and he has wears a whole bunch of different hats uh but he is involved with the nssa the north south uh, skirmish association and so uh along with many other things we're going to be talking about that and so that is something that we have not talked about hardly at all on the show and something I am uh, rather green in. And so I'm really excited to talk to Eddie about that and get his perspective on that portion of muzzleloading. So how are you doing today, Eddie? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. It's it's my pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Well, uh, yeah, the... Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, we're good. I just, I just want to talk a little bit about the um, NSSA here to start out with. Um, and I guess... Um, you know, actually, before we dive into that, because I kind of want people to know a little bit about who you are and, and why they should listen to who you are. And so how long have you been involved in muzzleloading? How did you get involved with the NSSA and kind of some of the background stuff there? Sure. So involved, um, been involved with the NSSA officially since I was 15. Um, I'm 34 now. Uh, unofficially since I was two weeks old. <laughs> um, I went to my very first shooting competition when I was two weeks. Uh, my birthday happens to fall on our fall nationals every year. So I kind of get to celebrate up there. Um, and competing, I said, since I was 15, I have seven official national titles. I say official because I, me and some friends, we, we hold two unofficial national titles. Our teams weren't official by the rules of the organization. We didn't have all the members from one team. Mm-hmm. But we did, in fact, we beat our times were good enough to beat other people. We just couldn't take the titles. Oh, interesting. Why, so – what was the reasoning behind that? Uh, so every in the NSSA, every team has to have. Um, I could, I need to pull the rule book, but I believe it's like over half of the members have to be of the same team. So you can't just pull a super team together and at a nationals and win the whole thing. Mm. And um, we wanted to shoot the repeating Henrys. So it was me and a friend of mine. That was um, his name was Matt, and we had another gentleman from another team, another gentleman from another team. His name was Craig and Jim Pape, and they joined us, and we just swept the floor. We we could not be stopped, and for two years in a row, all of us got together and kept doing it. And we won it. We won the we won the B class national twice unofficially. Mm-hmm. We we weren't granted the medals, but our times did win. Interesting, huh? That's cool. And I guess a question I have for you in that, it just from coming from somebody who's uh, ignorant to this, um, so skirmishing and that sort of thing your your shooting competitions how is that different from uh reenacting and like what are those two different schools there so we we shoot real real bullets not mm. blanks okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the so the nssa is interesting in the fact that it is a historical preservation society uh each team is based off of a real unit or a perceived real unit if um depending on a couple teams that were from the originals when it first started in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. 
But as of now, every team officially markets itself as a real team, a real, excuse me, real unit that was in the either the South or Confederacy or the North or the Union. And you wear the same uniform. You wear the, we try to be as historical as possible to the mm -hmm. point of the same actual like material. For oh, example, wow. my uniform is wool and cotton, so it's great in the summertime. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but we use uh, a lot of us use original arms. Um, like my musket and my carbine are both original. Really? Um, yes, sir. The the, the the team works. It's fifteen hundred yards for um, for long arms. Uh, so right, the carbine, the musket, the Henry, and you shoot against uh, for the team competitions. You shoot breakable targets, and you're competing against a clock. So for example, like. Usually every team, every event starts with a pigeon board, and every person it's 32 hanging pigeons on a back for the musket. So there's eight man teams for the musket competition, which is we consider the biggest one. Mm -hmm. If you've ever watched a Civil War movie in the last probably 20 years, there's a good chance most of that information or most of that sound you're hearing of an opening volley came from one of our shoots. Really? They record the bullets going overhead and downrange. They did it one time as a thing, and they kind of just kept reusing the 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 noise. Uh huh. Um, because you can go to a reenact and easily get all the sounds of a gun's going off, but a blank sounds different than a loaded firearm. Yeah. So some at one point they wanted to get actual real sounds. Same thing with cannons. Like they, there's a blank can sounds different than a cannon actually shooting a projectile down range. Mm -hmm. Well, and they can't. Uh, so you can't obviously if you're doing it a reenactment. You can't obviously get the sound of the projectile going overhead because there's no projectile. Yeah. So, I mean, duck Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it, we're unique in the fact that while we do have paper targets, um, and a lot of people enjoy doing paper targets, myself included, for like the individual portions, mm -hmm. we are we are a team-based organization at its core. Mm -hmm. Every every event has a team-based uh, portion. You're shooting breakable targets against the clock. The fastest time after all the events wins the whole thing. Okay, so it's the it's time-based, not score-based necessarily. Yeah, correct. Got it. And so the yeah, the paper targets are score based, but like the the, the team portions are all um, time based minus like the carbine or excuse me minus the cannons and the mortars. Those are score, the cannon is score based because they're shooting a actual gigantic tin ring, mm -hmm. and then what they call the counter battery, which is a picture of a cannon that it is you get you get different points depending on where you hit that picture of the cannon to take it out. And then huh. for the mortar, they're shooting at a stake, and they measure the distance from that stake. The, the shortest amount of distance wins. Oh, fascinating. That's awesome. Um, and so these these different uh, disciplines that you're talking about, I know the NMLRA, with their competitions, they have a whole bunch of different events, and a lot of it's individual. I believe they do have some team events as well. But it mm -hmm. sounds like from what you're saying, each of you have a team, and each of these events – factors into your team score so it's not like they're separate Correct. events it's all one big event is that right yeah yeah so for example um like carbine is probably my best gun mm -hmm. uh, most of my titles come from my carbine so when we shoot carbine it's you'll start with either most people start at 50 yards so you shoot 50 yards you shoot your your pigeons on the backer and then you when they're all done you call time and then the next event is um, we'll do the next event. There's generally four different events. You have hang, uh, pigeons on a backer, uh, hanging pigeons, like the actual ones like you'd shoot up and shoot skeet with. Mm -hmm. uh, you do hanging tiles, like bathroom tiles, like diamond tiles. 
and then they call them pot silhouettes. They used to be actual garden pots, like people would plant, like the terracotta paint plant stuff. Yeah. But now yeah. they're like a plaster flat thing to for for money purposes. It's cheaper. And then you go to 100 yards, which is uh, six inch tiles. Uh, excuse me, the 50 yards are four inches. Should mention that. In 100 yards, you go to six inch tiles, and each person gets one tile they have to hit, and then there's two extra balls. And so all those times factor in, and whoever has the fastest amount of time without penalties, because if you leave a, if you leave a target, there's penalties, uh, stuff like that wins wins the event. Okay, and, and then you, each okay. one is the same, like pistol, musket, and all that stuff. And do you and have smooth war? Because that's a big event. Do you have like a, a limited amount of, of shots, or can you take as many shots as you need to to get them done? But it just factors into you, your time. There's you can kind of take as many shots as you want to, but each event's only five minutes long. So like that's that's your that's your golden thing. So like the you have a max of time of five minutes to shoot them down. Mm-hmm. And some teams do take the full amount of time. Some teams can shoot them down super fast. It really depends on the skill level versus how many people you have. Got it. So, what would be a good a uh, good time on, uh, say, what you were describing there with the the carbine? So, like a competitive time um, for carbine, I can actually give you like the winning time of this past nationals. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, so, if you give me a few seconds while I pull this up, <laughs> and the reason I have this stuff, guys, is I'm also the editor for the organization. I edit our magazine called the skirmish line and it is free to anyone who wants to look at it if you go to um, n-ssa.org you can look at the very bottom this past time we had a really cool article from rock house uh from rock house island rock island auction up in um, illinois they were auctioning off um ulysses s grant's pistol and Mm. so we had a we had them on the cover and we had a very cool story about that um let me pull up the thing i am up on it now there you go. So, for example, on the Class A1 musket, so shooting long muskets, um, the winning time, the, the, the team who won the event was the 110th Ohio Volunteer Infantry, Company A. They shot down 32 pigeons in 168 seconds. And then they each won a bunch of different times in between. Like their Vent 2, they did for 75 seconds. Vent 4 was 60 seconds. So, Vent 2, I believe, was hanging pigeons. Mm-hmm. Event uh, event three was hanging tiles, which was 60 seconds. Uh, excuse me, event, I got the numbers mixed up, but the next event was hanging tiles. And then the pots, I believe, was 90 seconds. And then their 100 yard was incredible. They shot down um, all their targets at 100 yards in 47 seconds. Oh, man. That's wild. And so, yeah. and so there is 100 yards about the, the most that you'll see from any of these events. Or do you do they have like long range events as well uh, with regard so, to that? For us, a hundred yards is the max. Um, uh, for smoothbore, fifty yards is the max. It's always set distances that we shoot. Uh, now there are a lot of people who enjoy other disciplines, myself included. But for our purpose organization, it's um, for long arms, fifteen hundred yards. For pistols, it's um, twenty five and fifty yards. And for um, uh, smoothbore, it's twenty five and fifty yards. Okay, got it. Okay. That's awesome. And so you said you've been since you're 15 and you have five national titles. So is that your team or are those individual? Seven. Or seven, seven. Seven. That's right. <laughs> That's seven. So. Yeah. Um, I have don't read the, if you're watching the video, I just reached behind me. 
this uh, like this past time, I didn't I didn't win, but I got second place on with my carbine. So okay. I didn't take home the title, but I got second place. Uh, Team wise, we got um, seventh in carbine, and then for my carbine at fifty yards, I got sixth. Um, overall carbine, I got second, and then a hundred yard carbine, I got fourth. Okay, nice. And so like I hold a mixture of um. I hold a mixture of team and uh, individual titles. I um I do hold one team musket um championship, which is a really proud moment of mine. Um, a lot of the members on that team aren't living anymore mm. um, due to different illnesses and stuff like that. So it was really proud of me that I was able to win a championship with those guys. I also won it with my dad. Mm-hmm. So it was a really proud moment in my life. I've won um I've won a, a, a a lot of different individual titles. I won my very first national title at 15. Really? So like, your first uh, my, time out? Uh, not my first time. It was like my third time. Okay. Got it. So you're officially at 15. So how long have you been shooting muzzleloaders then? Just so, since you could walk? I, so like actual muzzleloaders, um, around them all my life, like I said, I think I shot my very first musket. I think I was nine or 10. Okay. Nice. Because the, they're they're heavy. I my dad could probably tell you exactly when. I remember shooting them at ten. I remember getting really serious with them at thirteen, getting ready to shoot um, with my dad. Awesome. And the NSSA stuff that is Civil War era, correct? Correct. Yeah, everything Civil War stuff. They, if um like if you got if um if you're listening to this, you obviously know what um, muzzleloading.com is. If you go to the search bar and type in N SSA. You can pull up all the different guns and stuff that are that are officially licensed to be used with us. They're all original-looking arms. So, like, as much as I love a Hawkins, they're fantastic guns to shoot. Unfortunately, you can't shoot them because mm-hmm. they were not um, they were not of the era of the Civil War. Fascinating. So, and I guess for you guys listening as well, we were at Shot Shows. You were able to talk to um, uh, Petter Soli, and we will link that podcast above and a couple of videos that we made. And uh, those those podcasts, we talk about some of the muzzleloaders that are NSSA approved. Um, I believe that uh, like the Brown Bass is NSSA approved, is it not? It, I think for smoothboard, I have to check it honestly. Yeah, yeah, because um, there's a couple that we were talking about that were specifically NSSA approved at Shot Show, but I can't remember exactly which ones they were. And like I said. Uh, David Petersoli, he is a fantastic guy. I've worked with him as well. well. I deal with them for the magazine purposes. They're a major backer of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, their guns are fantastic. So, like, if you're looking to get into the organization, you don't need to buy an original. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy the kits or you can buy the repos. Do whatever, you, like, whichever one you want. And there's plenty of people that can help you shoot these things. Like, the uh, one of my very first guns I ever shot was a reproduction Zool, and it mm-hmm. shot just fine. I did perfect with it the now as i got better i started adapting which guns i wanted and because there are tiers of guns just like we all know so like there's the budget guns and there's like the high tier guns i'm not trying to say like a a zoo is a budget gun there's guys who own championships with zoo but for me i found myself using a mississippi it was an all original mississippi and for some reason it just clicks with me just like my carbine i use a smith carbine which actually isn't muzzle loading it's breech loading mm. but the uh, I will kind of knock on wood, tap my own horn, whatever you want to call it. I with that gun, I'm probably top ten in the organization. List. Wow, that's incredible. So, what is the community like with the NSSA? Because I know in the uh, traditional 
muzzleloading that I've been involved with and rendezvous and things like that, the community has always been incredible. Um, is it a pretty welcoming and helpful community in general? I like to think so. Um, growing up in it, it, it was kind of like a family environment. Mm-hmm. The we for a little bit, I'll be honest, we were turning into like an old man's club, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Just like a lot of our members were aging, but it, as of now, like we have a lot of young people joining. We have a, um, a lot of families joining. It's it, it's not quite to the point of the resurgence that muzzleloading had in the '70s. That like when the muzzleloading took off again in America, but we, we're getting there. Like a lot of people over the last couple of years, like the last probably 10 years, you know, shooting sports in general took off with like three gun cowboy action, long range, all the different disciplines. Mm-hmm. And people are just now starting to like challenge themselves more. Kind of like you see more people hunting with muzzleloadings now. They just want to challenge themselves more. And it's just another discipline. So we're starting to see that kind of change in atmosphere of seeing a younger blood coming into the organization. Mm-hmm. The, the some of the biggest things that I do see though is like the well um, we have what's called our bulletin board it's a little antiquated it is a message board but like if you ever have an issue you can put it up on there or just talk to someone on our Facebook groups and they will help you through whatever like yeah well it's it, like everyone has a kind of guarded secret of hey I'm going to be best like, this is what I'm going to do to win kind of thing the, uh, they still want to see everyone succeed because I mean at the end of the day if if we all like in the day you help a young shooter that someone who will stay in the organization to shoot. Yeah. Well, I know Ethan, one thing Ethan and I have always talked about is um, just continuing to uh, ensure that muzzleloading lives on past us, you know, and there's definitely a lot of benefit to wanting to win, cha- you know, titles, championships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's also huge benefit in making sure that the sport that you love and are passionate about continues on after you've, you've gone, you know, away. So, uh, I think that, that, that is one thing that I've always been really impressed with, with the muzzleloader community is the desire to be patient and teach, uh, people that are just getting started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this past time, one of our organization or <laughs> one of the teams that was shooting under me, cause we, every, different teams they have a teams beer teams that's basically what it stands for is like based on ability that the best shooters go to the a team the the people who are struggling are still learning them to be teams then c team and d team depending on how large your team is mm. and on our uh one of our uh one of our lower teams we had a, a boy that um his dad actually married me and my wife and it was oh. his first shoot so it was kind of cool to see him i watched this kid grow up from like in diapers now shooting his very first shoot and it was great to watch him shoot. He he was struggling in the beginning a little bit, and like I went up to his mom and asked him, "Do you want advice or do you want to have fun?" He's like, "Oh no, he wants advice." So I went over and started giving advice on how to like shoot the carbine and like how to improve. Because mm-hmm. if you just want to have fun, man, go have fun. This this is shooting at the end of the day. I want you to come away walking and enjoying the best thing. Mm-hmm. But if you want to hit and you're messing up and you want the advice, there's plenty of people that'll give it to you. Yeah. And so, what are the like if somebody wants to get involved in NSSA competitions? What is the barrier of entry like? Like, how much does it cost to put together a uniform? Is the uniform 100% necessary? Like, what are the, uh, like, yeah. if somebody just wanted to dive in? Mm-hmm. So, at our nationals, um, we, you can kind of, in some small, in different regions, they allow you to kind of, like, jump in as long as you have the, official, the, the appropriate gun. You can kind of, what we call, farm in on a team without actually being the organization. Mm. Uh, certain certain regions allow, certain don't. It depends on the bylaws of that region. At the nationals, I believe you can, um, because it's something we're trying to do to open people up. But as far as like what's money things, now Grant, I'm gonna 
throw some numbers out there. They sound kind of scary, but you got to remember, like, COVID really hurt the supply chain, so certain things are more elevated than normal. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, the bare minimum, like, to join, you need to acquire yourself a musket. So you're looking anywhere between $600 and $1,200, depending on what you want, how new it is, original versus old. And even originals, you can try to sometimes find for like $700, depending on the condition. Mm. Like, you're looking at that. Then you need uh, the uniform. And depending on a, a uniform, you're probably looking at like $150, $200, depending on as much how much you want to put into it and what your team requires. Certain teams aren't as historically accurate as others. Certain teams want you to be like, I want you to walk out of your door in the morning and make it look like you're in 1860 kind of stuff. Some are just like, hey, we just want you to be able to shoot. Most teams have a clause that, like, they're going to give you a year to get everything if you own yourself. Uh, I know, like, for my team and some of my friends' teams, if you want to join, hey, here's your, here, we'll lend you a rifle and all the ammo that you need. We'll supply you everything you need for a year while you're getting your stuff together because we know this is an expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. Like, I, um, my dad, he's done that for some people. He supplied them the black powder, the ammo, the caps and the rifle to shoot for a year while they're getting stuff together. Mm-hmm. And that's not like a single thing. A lot of teams do this. The And then, of course, you need your ammo. You can buy pre-made ammo from certain vendors that are out there, or you can make your own if you like molding. So all in all, like if I wanted to do this tomorrow, maybe $1,500, which, again, sounds like a lot, but, I mean, this this is you're making an investment in something that's going to retain its value. Yeah, well, it, it depends on on the ho- like the hobbies you're used to. So if if it's like my wife who reads library books for her hobby, spent fifteen hundred dollars is insane. But if you're in- already involved in muzzleloading, or if you're involved in hunting, or any shooting sport really, fifteen hundred bucks is a pretty low input cost. Like my buddy, he does a lot of PRS NRL long range centerfire, and you know just to get a just to get a gun for that, I mean you can get an entry level gun, but you know three grand is like what you really want to be spending to get a really solid firearm, you know? Yeah. And that's just for the I mean, gun. Like if you want to do like, um, cowboy action, I think is in the lower end of three guns. But I mean, you're looking at like $3,000 to do get a competitive cowboy action setup. If you want to do actual three gun with like the ARs and the shotguns and the pistols, oh, yeah. I mean, we're looking at like five, six grand, depending on how much you want to put into your rifle. I mean, I know how much I spent on mine. Hopefully my wife's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I know, shooting sports really are extremely expensive, and so fifteen hundred bucks, like to me, that seems like a, a bargain, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think so. And the good news is, sorry, sorry, Darren. No, I no, I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to. You'd mentioned getting an original for seven hundred bucks. Um, yeah. I wasn't aware that that was a possibility. Yeah, the reason I say that, I was looking at one on our bulletin board last night uh, trying to talk a friend of mine into joining, and we were just looking at various price guns and trying to give him a range. And, like, there was a guy selling an original. um, I have no clue what the condition of the bore is and stuff like that. But, I mean, even if, like, the bore is slightly messed up, there's guys that will rewind these guns. I mean, you're looking at, like, so say you find a gun that's good outside but the inside slightly pitted. So I wouldn't necessarily shoot that. Take it to uh, one of our gunsmiths or an organization for two, three hundred dollars. They'll put they'll put a sleeve around the thing. You now basically have the, a new barrel on, with um, the old gun. Oh, that's awesome! That's really cool. 
Um, I, another question I have, because you're intriguing me with all these low prices and fun times, what parts of the country is the NSSA involved in? Because we live in Oregon, so we're about, and you're in North Carolina, right? Yeah. So we're about as far away from you as possible, <laughs> but uh, are there, is the NSSA have a presence like on the West Coast at all? Unfortunately not. We generally just, because like each team is based on, based out of like what teams are in the Civil War or mm -hmm. what units are in the Civil War. So essentially all the, if, if the state fought in the Civil War, it's presence. So like, of course, all the East Coast, Northeast, Southeast, we go, like we have teams up in Michigan, we have teams as far west as Texas, but it doesn't mean you don't have to like, like you can join the team without living in the area. There's, I know individuals that live in California that come and shoot. There's one, there's one guy who's stationed in Germany who flies back to, um, flies back and competes hmm. during the Nationals. Um, I, there's a gentleman that I know really well. He lives out in Indiana and he still competes. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So that's, I guess I just have to fly out to, to the <laughs> nationals every once in a while and, and get her done. I mean, there's two, there's two a year. And like I said, uh, you're always invited to be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I might have to take you up on that. I really enjoy, I think. If you do well, you'll come back fast. Hey, that's well. That's that might be a problem, but you know what? I I guess I can splurge a little bit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that shooting shooting is something like I grew up in shooting, and I think that uh, a lot of people should have experience with firearms. Even if you don't really like to shoot, you should at least mm -hmm. have a good understanding of firearms because really the history of firearms is is world history, or at least the history of weapons. You know, because you have the Stone Age, mm -hmm. you have the Iron Age, you have you know uh uh you know, firearms are invented. You have black powder. Now you have, you have smokeless yeah, powder. The, so. the human weapon relationship, um, if you track the human genome and what, if, and depending on if you just look at the evolution of mankind and what we've done advanced civilization, the human weapon relationship, we've always advanced civilization through self-protection, self-arms. Mm -hmm. And so it started with, you know, sticks, stones, and spears, and it moved up and then it rapidly grew as far as like evolution goes from like the 1100s up to we have now. And like, so like, Weapon, we've always had um, an affinity with self-protection with weapons mm. and all a firearm is is the most modernized version uh, evolution of a protect of a spear because it is a projectile it's an advanced projectile weapon yeah well and you think about it as as long as people have been around there's been weapons and i was thinking about this this past month as i was bear hunting you know and we have a lot of wolves bears mountain lions like all kinds of stuff in the woods in Oregon. oh my yeah <laughs> oh my it's right um, but I was like, man, if I was thinking back to like, you know, the, the first people of, I, it would not take me long to fashion some kind of weapon to protect myself. If you're out in the woods, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, there's stuff everywhere that wants to kill you. And when you're in the wild, you're the lowest man on the totem pole. Like you don't have any hair, you don't have any claws or teeth. Like you're just food <laughs> unless you have a weapon. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I think, I think weapons in general are fascinating. And I think that, uh, black powder is a great place to start for people because a lot of times mm -hmm. you can get them that are low recoil. Like yesterday we had all the guys out at the range and we were shooting flintlocks and a flintlock has like almost no recoil and it's a huge amount of fun. Like everybody always has a smile on their face when they shoot a flintlock. So. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you're mentioning that I teach a cultural competence class for, um, for firearms to other, to like mental health clinicians. And part of it is the evolution of um, advanced projectile weapons, like from the anthropological perspective, hmm. talking about how like hmm. mankind first left Africa, uh, this, this 
the dawn of civilization in Africa based on the fact that we learned how to defend ourselves and kill games from farther away. So like it's, it's always tracked uh, mankind's advances. Fascinating. I'd be, I'd be really interested to like to take a deep dive into that because I think a lot of it times up perfectly because really that's, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. And then the most advanced civilizations have the most advanced weapons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I do want to touch base too, a little bit on, um, so you're involved with, uh, it's walk the talk America. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So I want to touch on that too, and we'll dive back into muzzle loading, but I do want to talk about that some, because that's a really important part of your story that I want to make sure we give uh, a good amount of time today. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you probably just heard me talking about the, the I teach this class. So something about me is, uh, my background was fire EMS. So I, that, that's important as part of my, my story. I always tell some people I did that for about six years, eight, if you did, if you count my volunteer time, uh, I currently work as a mental health and substance use therapist. I, but I, I mostly work with teens, but I can work with adults too. And what Walk the Talk America is, we pride ourselves on being the intersection of guns and mental health. If you're watching the YouTube video, <laughs> <laughs> what we do is we work with the gun industry and the fire, um, and excuse me, in the mental health agency. We want, we wish to promote um, positive change and reduce um, negative firearms outcomes, mostly through combating suicide and suicide awareness. But we want to do this without legislative change. Because we know that we can we can help people without just forcing walls down people's throats. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'm not trying to talk or touch on the the things going on right now. But of course, it, as we're recording this, this this whole month has been horrible. Well, I guess last month has been horrible with negative outcomes with firearms. We you all know which ones I'm talking about. And a lot of people point to mental health as the issue. And then the gun industry, like the gun industry, sometimes will point to mental health. The mental health industry or, will point to firearms. And then everyone just rabble, rabble, rabble in the middle without actually promoting change. So we try to promote resp- um, responsible gun ownership, not safe, because we're all safe. We know we know the firearm ball. We know the firearm rules to safety. But we want to promote responsible and also promote like self uh, self care. There is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. We all have issues, and a lot of you guys out there and women, females, sorry, <laughs> a lot of us guys and gals, let's go that way. Yeah. Um, you already take care of your mental health without having to talk to a therapist you do that through talking to your friends or gardening or shooting that shooting is myself here it's a big part of my story of getting past some of my darker times that happened that i was in when i left uh, fire ems the the rest of us is all about just trying to promote this positive change that's out there if you want to learn more about us you can say you can go to walk we have our own podcast out there you can hear more of my story. That one was recorded about three years ago, so a lot's changed since then. Mm-hmm. But you can hear more about us. Uh, you can donate to us. We th- these changes and stuff. They, I'm not trying to beg for money, but they, they, they're not free. So we're we, we're not we're not out there pushing walls. We're out there trying to make promote positive changes. We have a lot of partners in the industry, so that's that's our goal. Awesome. That's really awesome stuff, and I think that the mission is really important because, um, and when you look at society i think there is a lot of finger pointing like what you're saying and i think in reality people need education you know and i think that is whether it's with firearms or with themselves Mm -hmm. and i think that uh, a lot of people go their entire lives without having a very thorough understanding of themselves and what makes them tick and how to uh how to take care of themselves you know and Mm -hmm. i think that the more that you can educate and uh, you said you work with teens a lot i think teens especially when you can learn that lesson young 
you are set up for success throughout the rest of your life. Yeah, I'll throw this out there because um, I'm sure you have, like, there's probably people from all different backgrounds listening to this. We host um, free cultural competence classes for firearms, mostly geared towards clinicians. This isn't the one that I teach. It's the one that the organization put on. But it's designed to teach people what firearm culture is and, like, why people, why someone own a gun, why people shoot. So it's, like, the various things that. And if you're in the clinician world, it comes with continuing education credits. And if, if you know what that means, you already know how important that is. But it's free to anyone that they want to watch it. The other thing we offer is a free and anonymous mental health screening. So you can take this thing and you can go, you answer a quick um, survey and he goes, it's not telling, it's not diagnosed. You're not saying you have anxiety or you are diagnosed with depression, Darren. It's saying, Darren, based on your results, you may be suffering some form, some form of anxiety. Would you like to know more? And we're constantly trying to evolve that website. As of right now, we're trying to work on it so that if you go, yes, I want to know more, it'll link you to a website, probably hosted on Mental Health America, one of our partners. But it'll, it'll link you to a therapist in your area that is gun cultural competence, taking our course, that is 2A competent. That's not going to go, you own guns? Oh, man, no, no, no. It'll be someone like, you own guns? You're like, shoot, cool. I like the fish. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I want to – we'll put a link to that in the in the comments, or I guess if you're watching on – on youtube it'll be in the in the description and i guess i guess same thing for the audio platform that way you can check out walk the talk america and um you know take the mental health screening read about their organization donate you know really get a because i think a lot of what they're doing is is really good stuff so um, i really appreciate all the work you're doing there thank you well i kind of want to shift gears again uh hopefully we don't give people like too much whiplash jumping back and forth here uh, i think that's some really good stuff um and i definitely will will include the links and i really recommend you guys checking out walk the talk america um but back into muzzleloading a little bit uh, i want to get your thoughts on the state of muzzleloading as a whole because you're involved not just in um the nssa but you're a muzzleloader hunter and um mm-hmm. pretty involved in just the black powder community in general what are your thoughts on where muzzleloading is at as a whole this year? I think it's fantastic. Um, obviously, with GoX uh, shutting down and then being bald, it was a panic. So a lot of people thought, like, what's going to happen to our hobby? But, like, we saw we saw other brands step up. And of course, GoX is now going to be back in production, hopefully by 2023, I think is when they said. Mm-hmm. But there's so many people got into kind of hunting and muzzleloading in general over, like, COVID. And some of it was just like wanted to like you know distance from people, wanted to like be around other things. So people got into more hunting of it. The as far as the state goes, like I think it's fantastic. We're growing as a sport. If you look at the, the NMLRA is doing, you look at like what the, the European scene is looking like. All over, like people are embracing muzzleloading. I think it's kind of like um, that. I enjoy shooting modern guns. I love shooting. I love going shooting fast. I love shooting all this stuff. But there's something primitive and raw about like actually like self-loading the gun and shooting it and kind of just getting that intimate with it. I think a lot of people are starting to enjoy that. They're starting to see that. Yeah. And I, I agree with you for the most part. And I mean, obviously you can look at just the supply chain and there's nothing available. So obviously the sport's growing. Um, (laughs) And it's nice too, because this year things are still very much difficult to find, but this year I think we are starting to see some of those supply chains loosen up a little bit. And hopefully that trend continues. Of course, now that things are loosening up, now gas prices are really high, so no one can afford to travel anywhere. So it's kind of a catch-22, it seems. But, um, you know, I've really enjoyed 
you know, participating in rendezvous and I've seen how that community has been growing, at least locally here in Oregon and talking to Ethan in the Midwest and you on the East coast, it seems like things are going well. Um, uh, just a kind of a, you know, devil's advocate question. If, if one thing could change, like if there was any way for us all to improve, like, what do you think that would be? Uh, like supply chains is the number one. Like if we could just fix that, cause like, like looking at the kits and stuff out there, people want to buy the guns and the kits aren't really available, but like to open things up would be pro- probably a, a, a better supply of the, the caps mm-hmm. that are out there for the more print like cap lock stuff and number 10, pri- or number 10 primers for the uh, mo- modern inline. It's just like, I still think there's um, slight difficulties acquiring these things. And when you do fire, find them, like the prices are still elevated. Mm-hmm. That would be my number one wish to kind of see come down. Cause like powder and stuff is still, somewhat reasonable but I think uh, caps I think are is the elevated price that's like the the barrier I think a lot of people to like shoot as much as you want yeah primers have been just a nightmare um to get a hold of and we're starting to see a lot of the powders loosen up like we've I think right now we actually are have a sale as, as of time of recording like triple seven and stuff is on sale right now um but I know that they're like percussion caps primers all that stuff has just been i mean just as bad it's just as hard to get as it has been over the last two years so um i think you're right i think that if that would if that could change that would be awesome but you know we'll see maybe it can change <laughs> yeah maybe, i mean i'm sure it will get back like to normal anything, eventually it's like anything it'll start coming like if you look at modern ammo the prices are starting to come back down and the and the supplies are starting to reach back on the shelf right now um it's just a thing of these stores have these like their surpluses they bought super high so they're not quite ready to bring the prices down because they don't want to take a huge hit yet mm-hmm. and that's not the price that's not the case of every store like some of the places just couldn't find them so so they're still paying through the nose to get things so like i mean but we are starting to see supplies increase um this past national when i was in winchester there was um one of our um one of our suppliers that's up there uh, their name was back Creek. they had powder they had caps you you may, you had to pay a little bit more than you did for other things, but I mean that's the kind of the case across the board. Yeah, it's not the 1980s anymore. Unfortunately, you're not going to get a pound of powder for like ten bucks. Yeah, at least I mean, I I'm okay with some elevated prices as long as it's avail- available. You know what I I mean to a point. I don't want to pay like two hundred and fifty dollars for a ten ounce bottle of Blackhorn, but you know elevated <laughs> pricing like you kind of come to expect when you know supply and demand is so flip flopped like this. Um, so a question for you, what other black powder passions do you have? Cause we touched briefly just a second ago that you are a muzzleloader hunter. Um, but the NSSA is not your, it's not everything you do. You do a lot of other stuff as well. Correct. Yeah. So like I said, hunting, um, I, I've hunted all my life. I enjoy black powder hunting. I'm trying to get more into it. Uh, this uh, past year, I moved to uh, the mountains of North Carolina, so it's constantly wet here. So I'm starting to get more into the, the modern inline. That's my goal to try to get one of those. Not, the, not that I don't like hunting with the originals, but they don't necessarily like hanging out in the rain for three days. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, seriously. Uh, and the other the other stuff, like I'm trying to get into this year. I have a friend of mine that's really pushing me. I have the rifle, but I'm trying to get into black powder cartridge shooting. Hmm. So that that is. I have a Sharps 4570, so my goal is to try to do a couple matches with that this year. Okay, and is that that's not NSSA at that point, right? That's a different 
No, no, that's, that'll probably be, um, I don't even know what organization, I forget what organization that is. I, I'm, I'm sorry, organization. I'm not trying to <laughs> intentionally slot you. <laughs> I, I just know that it's one of the guys that's in the organization that him and his wife both shoot it. And he's, he's, he wins most, a lot of their titles, but he's kind of invited me out to go to Tennessee and Georgia at the matches with him. Nice. That'll be awesome. I think just branching out, constantly learning, learning is like, learning is the fun part of anything, I think. And once you've learned yeah. everything, things get a little bit dry, um, after a certain and, point. And Ethan, he's got, he's got my, um, uh, flintlock bug going. Um, I bought my first flintlock, uh, last year, which was funny. Ooh. I've never, uh, all these years I've been doing, I've never owned a flintlock, uh-huh. but I got my first flintlock. It's actually my wife. She, she bought a, a flintlock pistol. That's kind of our first gun. Mm. And I'll, I'm going to try to get into it more. I'd like to start doing some round balls and rendezvous and stuff like that. Nice. And do they have a lot of rendezvous in the East Coast? Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch. Uh, I know actually um, there is one uh, near Asheville, which is near where I live. Uh, so there's a club out there that does something. So that's probably the closest club to me. Okay. Yeah, it's a, there seems like there's rendezvous like – every hundred yards in in eastern oregon but we're like right on the oregon trail like the oregon trail passed through my town so mm-hmm. people are kind of it's very like cultural you know around here that people yeah. are like oh rendezvous you know i'll go out and hang out there and so i think we have we probably have a half a dozen or more rendezvous within like a three-hour drive from here so which you know that's a long ways when you're in, in Oregon. There's not many towns within three hours of La Grand, Oregon. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the only thing I know about your state, honestly, is it rains a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. That is, I always think it's fascinating to talk to people who aren't from Oregon and kind of. Usually, they say one of two things. They say, "Oh, that's you know, it rains all the time, and you guys have Portland." And like, it's like, well, those are both true. Kind of, you know, we have Oregon's pretty much like two separate states. Like you have Western Oregon, which has Salem, Portland. It rains all the time, it's like a rainforest. And then you have Eastern Oregon, or and like Central Oregon, which is all high desert and you know reasonably. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like like Central Oregon, where I grew up in Redmond, is all high desert and it's you know dry for the most part, sunny, volcanic volcanoes everywhere. There's tons of volcanic mountains in Central Oregon. It's absolutely beautiful. If you guys are listening to this, you can just look up, uh, like, Google Mountains of Bend, Oregon, and you'll see just – there's, like, probably a half a dozen just volcanic mountains all over the place in Bend, Oregon. So, um, yeah, absolutely amazing state. So uh, – I'm looking at it now, and I'm, I'm kind of jealous. Like, I have mountains outside my front porch that I get to look at, but that's kind of cool, that snow-capped mountain. Oh, man, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll post a picture. So I was bear hunting. I, I was hunting in uh, the Catherine Creek unit, which is backed up against the Eagle Cap Mountains, which northeast Oregon rains a little bit more. It's much more green where I live, not in, like central Oregon. It's like a desert. Um, and there's mountains. I mean, I could just go an hour from my house, and there's mountains that are probably 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet above sea level. So it's just like I know some of you guys are probably thinking that's kind of weak, but it's nice when, you know, I don't have to drive too far to get to them, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm just jealous that you get to hunt something other than turkey in the, um, the springtime. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because I've talked to a lot of people, and Oregon's one of the few states that has a spring bear season. Most of the people have to wait till like, the fall. Yeah, it's smack down in the middle of deer season for here, and by that time, the bear had been, like, already pressured by deer hunters and unintentionally, so they're already skittish. Yeah, well, and it's hard to hunt them in the fall because in the springtime, they come out of hibernation and they're starving. So you can usually call them or they're out 
eating all the time, constantly on the move. In the fall here, at least in Oregon, you have to like, you have to just happen upon them or know where they are already because you're not going to call them in. They're not as interested. But I have some friends in Pennsylvania, um, the Price Brothers, and they're they're like bear specialists, and they they like hunt bears all the time. They, we had them on a podcast link above. Um, but they uh, they do bear drives, and they they it seems like people hunt bears totally differently in all these different states. Like there's a totally different strategy. Yeah, I know here a lot of people use dogs, which uh, I'm not gonna talk on the ethnic like if that's good <laughs> or bad. I just know that's what people use out here in North Carolina. Yeah. It, so every, I, I got to ask, and everyone's got to know, did you get a bear? I did not kill a bear. The season ended on the 31st, which this is we're recording on June 3rd. And I, not for lack of effort, I mean, I was out all the time. I went out afternoons. I went out a bunch of different weekends, hiked many miles, made hours of stands. If I hear calf in distress coming from a, fro- a Fox Pro one more time, I might go insane. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it was did a great time. Any? I didn't even see a bear, which I think is more amazing. It would have been less amazing like if I'd, I'd seen some but wasn't able to kill them because I was hunting with a muzzleloader. But the fact that mm-hmm. I glassed hillsides for hours and hours and called and made stands and didn't even see a bear is kind of fascinating because the areas I was in, there were bears active. Um, and there was, you know, like tons of bear sign. Uh, if you guys check out my Instagram, you'll probably see that there's bear sign just, you know, all over the place. And so... Uh, but you know, I mean, bear poop, guys. Yeah, bear, bear poop <laughs> tracks. Yeah, the whole, the whole nine yard. I mean, just like there's tons of stuff in there to see, and so you know, it is what it is. You can't, uh, you can't win them all. I was able to enjoy my time, and I put in a lot of hard work, and that's all that really matters. Strength in mind, strength in body. So, awesome. Um, well, I think that we're kind of running close on the time today. Did you have anything else you want? Actually, before we, before we wrap up, I want, if you want to get involved, plugged in with NSSA, uh, how do they do that? Sure. Um, so the best way to do that is to go to our, um, homepage, which is n-ssa.org. And there is a, how to join button up there. What you'll do is it'll hook you up with some of our recruiters and they'll send out emails and they'll figure out where you live and they'll, they'll figure out the best way to get you involved in a team and if in the you can always reach out to me which is nssa editor at gmail.com and i can hook you up the same way but the fastest route would be through our actual recruiting platform okay cool. if you want to learn more about us go on youtube we have videos out there we have an older recruitment video it's still good information but if you just type in n-ssa and if you type in cannons, that's the cool shoot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I, there'll be a link to that in the show notes and description as well. So you guys can check that out. If you're in the uh, East coast, then you can check out all of the NSSA stuff, get plugged in there and join that community. Um, what about you, Eddie? If people want to just, uh, if people want to see any of your stuff. So for me, this, I'm mostly involved like so with the NSSA right now. I'm, I do have other things out there that I do on the back end with through mental health and with WTTA. Uh, we have some stuff in the fire right now, but nothing major. I'm hoping to start writing some more on some stuff out there because it's one of my passions. I like doing that stuff. So who knows, maybe sometime I'll be able to do something like that. But it's mostly that where you'll be able to find stuff for me is through the NSSA website. Um, I put the magazine up there every time we print it for free. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll check out that magazine. And uh, if you guys are listening, 
Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Hit the bell to receive notifications if you're watching on YouTube. We usually post about twice a week. Uh, How-tos, reviews, uh, load development, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're listening on the audio platform, then be sure to leave a review because that's going to help get our content into the hands of people that are going to benefit from it and help keep muzzle loading uh, going strong. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, Eddie, and uh, we'll see all you guys on the next episode. <laughs>